0: Unplugged, I'm your host Paul Comfort and this is another edition of Comfort's Corner where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry and thanks for being with us on this new fresh edition on Christmas week of the number one transit podcast in the world where we interview top executives and today it's going to be a great another episode for you after some important headline news we take a look at uh, a headline newsmaker interview with Ben Plowden, who works for Transport for London, TFL. He is heading up their coronavirus recovery response, and he talks to us about uh, how they're responding to it and some great ideas about a post-COVID era and how the service that transit agencies in London and perhaps around the world might need to adjust to the new travel patterns of commuters. You'll, you'll really wanna hear this interview with him as we talk about that. Then, of course, we've got Mike's Minute on kindness, which, of course, during the holiday season, is very important, and also Alaya Carey's Messaging Minute, and a look at the future of public transportation. All that on this episode of Transit Unplugged, and we also want to bring you a programming note. Starting in the new year, Transit Unplugged and our, our sister program, Comfort's Corner, you'll be able to get it every Wednesday throughout the year. As you may know, Transit Unplugged has been on the 15th and 31st of the month, and sometimes it ends up on a weekend, or the same day as the middle of the week would be for the next show so in order to make it simple for you we're just going to bring you a new episode of the late breaking news and top interviews with top executives every wednesday so you can get it so transit unplugged will be every wednesday and then every other wednesday during that time it'll be a comforts corner version of transit unplugged which includes Headline news, a look at the future of public transportation, an interview with transit executives who are making the news that may not be CEOs. That was in addition to the programming this year, and so now there's a fresh episode of Transit Unplugged every week on Wednesdays, starting in this new year of 2021. Now some headline news. You may have heard about uh, there was concern from some folks in the transit industry to make sure that transit workers uh, and drivers, etc. would be on the list of essential workers to get the vaccine against COVID-19. Well, reportedly a CDC advisory panel has included transit work in the list of essential workers that it recommends receiving the COVID vaccine in the next round. These recommendations just came out. They're non-binding on the states where a lot of the decisions are being made, but obviously it would be very helpful from uh, this group to say that, you know, this is, this is what's happening. Uh, when it comes to COVID nineteen relief, and now a little bit more on COVID, as you know, many transit agencies are really hurting financially as they have burned through the CARES Act money, which came out last year, the twenty five billion dollars. Especially some of the largest transit systems have already burned through their money, and they were proposing rather, uh, you know, big cuts to service if they did not get any relief. Well, it looks like Washington D C. is going to give us some relief out of Congress. Um, you know, early this week it was just breaking that. Uh, the financial aid package would include money for transportation. So it looks like uh, the, the last version before the vote was going to be forty five billion dollars in total for transportation, 15 billion of that for airline payroll support, a billion for airline contractor payrolls, 14 billion for public transit, which is down a billion. You may have heard a 15 billion dollar number, but they, they took a billion out and put it elsewhere. And uh, so it's down to 14 billion, which is not, you know, the transit APTA and other groups have been asking for 32 billion. Uh, but congressional leaders are, are saying to watch for another round early in the new year and that this may be enough to help agencies get through March and not have the draconian cuts right now. They're also putting in 10 billion for state highways, 2 billion for airports and airport concessionaires, 2 billion for the private motor coach, school bus, and ferry industries. and and a billion for Amtrak. I'm glad there's some money in there for private motor coach. Not sure that's enough. They've really been decimated by this COVID pandemic and the shutdowns, not only because many of the commuter routes that they were running for transit agencies have been cut dramatically because people aren't riding, but also their regular work for events and things like that have been, you know, again, that industry has been decimated. So looks like there is some relief coming from Washington for everyone in this latest package. It was late breaking on when the vote actually would be. By the time you listen to this, they may have already voted. But we don't have the vote totals as of yet. Some other kind of late breaking news, which is the end of the year help, is that uh, with just days to spare, New Jersey Transit has attained certification of its positive train control system by the Federal Railroad Administration and will meet the December 31st deadline to have the safety overlay system implemented. The Federal Railroad Administration began designating which railroads were at risk of being in non-compliance of meeting the end of the year deadline in its quarterly reports of PTC progress. Eight railroads were on the first at-risk list and eventually New Jersey Transit became the only railroad to remain with the designation during the most recent quarterly report. However, with the certification of its system from the FRA, New Jersey Transit has cleared the final hurdle to be in compliance with the deadline. So congratulations to New Jersey Transit, uh, the, the CEO and President Kevin Corbett and all the staff are meeting this deadline. Uh, it was a big step and it was a big step towards safety in the nation to see that move forward. So congratulations to everyone there. And now uh, before we wrap up the headline news, there's a bunch of personnel news coming out uh, this last weekend and into this new week on um, significant changes in senior staff of transit agencies. And since our Podcast focuses a lot on senior executives. We like to bring you these headlines when they're available. TriMet General Manager Doug Kelsey, a good friend of the program, was just recently on the show this fall, has announced he will retire when his multi year contract expires on March 5th. A search for Kelsey's replacement will begin immediately. TriMet, as you know, is in the Portland, Oregon area. Uh, Doug Kelsey, who's been a good friend of mine over many years, said, I can't thank the community, our riders, our employees, and the board of directors enough for the opportunity to serve TriMet. We've accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. It's a testament to our amazingly talented employees and community partners. You may recall that Kelsey first served as TriMet's Chief Operating Officer from November 2015 through March of 2018. During that time, when I was still CEO of MTA in Baltimore, he was uh, giving me some good advice on uh, ice, how to get the ice off the the light rail catenary wires and uh, I had our crew contact him. He's very helpful. And at that point in 2018, TriMets board selected Kelsey as general manager to replace the retiring general manager near McFarland, Neil McFarland, uh, following an international search and extensive community engagement. So Doug Kelsey has announced his retirement. We wish him the very best and whatever else comes for him next. Someone else leaving, another big name in the industry, uh, is down in Miami, all the way across to the other side of the country. And Alice Bravo, who has been the head of the Miami-Dade transit system for five years has said she's leaving her $248,000-a-year job at Transportation and Public Works for, quote, a leadership opportunity in the private sector that reflects my strong commitment to advancing public transportation innovation and mobility solutions. You may recall that there's a new mayor in town, Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava, and she will she said she'll be uh, conducting a national search for a transit director after revealing that Alice Bravo will leave the post. So congratulations to Alice. She did uh, quite, a, quite a few... Um, Things down there while she was in her in her time in Miami. We look forward to seeing where she ends up next as well. And um, the uh, there there are there is actually a couple other pieces of in, interesting information. Andrew Robbins, who uh, has been the executive director of the Honolulu Authority for Rapid Transportation, last week the board decided not to renew his contract moving forward. And um, a big on on the on the other side of the spectrum, King County Metro General Manager Terry White has taken the helm. I've been talking to him off and on. And we hope to have him on the podcast sometime in the new year after he, so to speak, gets his feet on the ground. Uh, Terry's a 33-year veteran of King County Metro. He started as a bus operator and he's moved up the ranks and was appointed general manager this month uh, after serving as interim general manager for four months. And We're very excited to see what, it'll, um, what Terry's going to be doing as the new general manager there in King County, which is in Seattle, Washington. Hey, that's it for the headline news. Now stay tuned for our Newsmaker interview and all the rest of this special episode of Transit Unplugged.
1: Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about kindness, mentorship, and leadership with the hopes that it'll inspire you to pay it forward. Well, 2020 is finally coming to an end and for many, perhaps not soon enough in what can only be described as an unprecedented year that seemed to continually challenge our resolve. As the holidays are upon us, we have time to reflect. I think it's an amazing opportunity from both a personal and a transit perspective to be grateful, recognize and thank our colleagues and all the frontline essential staff whom selflessly continued to put the well-being of the general public, the continued delivery of service and simply some days just a smile on the forefront. There is often a lot of talk during the holiday season of giving the perfect gift, or what should I buy for someone. I truly believe the perfect gift this year is to simply say thanks. We are surrounded daily by people that deserve it. Take time to thank your coworkers, colleagues and peers, and those you interact with daily that are supplying essential service so we can all hover around some sort of normalcy. Every year my wife and I challenge ourselves and our friends to commit random acts of kindness over the holidays, and I would like to challenge you. It's easy. And this is a year where people around us need it more than ever, and I'm sure would appreciate it more than ever. Maybe make a donation in your community, randomly hand out signed gift cards or coffee cards, or simply hold a door, listen, call someone that may need it, but most of all, remember to say thanks. No matter how you celebrate over the holidays, always celebrate kindness. Thanks for listening. Kindness is cool. Have a safe and wonderful holiday season, and Happy New Year.
0: for being with us today on Transit Unplugged, Comfort's Corner. I'm excited to have with us on the Newsmaker Hotline, Ben Plowden, who's in London, and he is a director at Transport for London in charge of the Restart and Recovery Program. Ben, thanks so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Ben and I were recently uh, shared another platform at some other conference, and I was like, oh, I've got to get him on the podcast, (laughs) because your area of responsibility is exactly what this version of Comfort's Corner was started to do, which is to talk about uh, the restart and recovery from COVID-19. So that's, uh, and how long have you had this role, then there at TFL? Well, pretty much since the beginning of the pandemic, um, I started off doing a specific piece of work around
2: our support for uh, one of the COVID-19 emergency hospitals, and then that kind of morphed into a broader role helping to just make sure that everyone across the organization was aware of what everybody else was doing so that we had a coordinated response to the pandemic rather than one that was
0: in, in different bits and pieces. That's good. You're our uh, you're our third guest on Transit Unplugged from TFL. We started out with your friend Simon Reed. Uh, yeah. And then recently, uh, earlier in the fall, we had uh, Andy Byford on, who's an old friend of mine from over here when he was at um, uh, Toronto and New York, and I was yeah. in Baltimore. And, uh, and now we're excited to have you on. So Ben, you've been in a number of roles there at TFL. Tell us about kind of your career path as we get started, and also a little bit about Transport for London, because it is Probably, you know, pre-COVID, the largest or one of the largest, if not the largest uh, public transit system in the Western world. Okay, so I've been at
2: TFL from fairly close to the start of the organization in the early 2000s, uh, when it was just being set up as a result of the creation of the office of an elected mayor in London. It's part of his sort of functional um, uh, organization, if you like. Uh, he's the chair of our board. He appoints the board. Um, he, he's involved in strategizing and planning for TfL through his transport strategy. And I've done a variety of roles uh, since the early 2000s. So I've been in senior communications roles. I've done strategy and planning roles. I've got involved in project delivery for a while. Um, and I've recently spent some time in the uh, new international consulting arm. So I've sort of been all around the business in that period. And it's worth stressing, I think, for your listeners and viewers, Paul, that we are probably one of the most integrated transport authorities in the world, in the sense that we not only plan for, but also operate pretty much all of public transport in the city. But crucially, we also are responsible for the planning for and operation of the road network. Uh, So we control and manage all the traffic signals, for example, which make sure that we can manage traffic in real time for our control center. Uh, We own a significant chunk of the road network. We're the asset owner and we also fund the part of the network that's run by the local municipalities. So that gives us the ability to both run and direct public transport, but also uh, manage and plan for the road network. And clearly, if your buses are running on your roads, which they do, that allows you to do things like bus priority, to do traffic signals detection, and really make sure that your whole system hangs together as a single offer to your customers.
0: And you all were one of the first uh, to institute congestion charging. That's right, 2003. So Ken Livingstone, who was the first mayor of London,
2: in his election manifesto in 1999 said, if I'm elected, I will introduce a congestion charge of the central area, that, for basically this, the central activity zone, a very small area of the CBD, uh, where there was a real concern in the business community about the cost of congestion to business. He was elected, and, 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 and sure enough, in 2003, we switched on congestion charging, and it's been in place ever since and has been hugely important as a way of managing traffic congestion, particularly in the in the core area of the city where where there's quite a lot of well, a huge amount of economic activity uh, and the need to keep the road running smoothly there and,
0: and safely. So tell us some about TFL itself and the scope of what you do. I mean, uh, London itself about do you know how many people live there. I mean, it's a massive city, right? Yeah, the population is, I guess, 8 million or so. And then obviously the population increases during the day
2: by another couple of million people coming in from the suburbs and, and, the, and the surrounding area to work in the city. Uh, so the mayor is the mayor for the whole of the greater London area, which, which has been a, an area that's been pretty consistent for about the last 50 or 60 years. So that's well understood. And TFL is responsible for pretty much all of transportation within the mayor's area of responsibility. So that means we, uh, we, Produce for him his transport strategy, which the statute requires him to produce. We provide input to the London Spatial Plan, so those two things are locked together. Uh, but we also plan for all public transport, so the metro, the bus network, overground rail. We have a tram scheme in South London, uh, and we also, as I said, plan for uh, and 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 strategically manage the road network. Um, so we really are able to look right across all transportation modes to make sure that they are properly integrated, both in planning terms, but also in terms of day-to-day operations so that your bus services connect to your metro services. Uh, there are cycle parking spaces outside your metro stations. So as a customer, whether you're on PT or on the road network, we aim to make sure that you have a properly joined up experience from the minute you start planning your journey to the minute that you arrive at your destination. And that that journey is safe, that it's accessible, that it's producing minimal environmental impact. So we really are able to plan right across the full spectrum of both transport mode, but also all of those different issues.
0: That's good. And so talk to us a little bit now about the COVID-19 issue, the impact that it's had on London, TfL itself. Let's talk about the impact first and then we'll talk about the recovery.
2: Sure. So like many, many other cities, the pandemic hit us very hard indeed. So in the early stages of the first national lockdown, our metro ridership was down by about 95%. Our bus ridership was down by about 80 to 85%. So in the early days, when we were actively encouraging people not to use mass transit, we had a very significant fall off in, in demand. Now, as the economy has kind of unlocked a bit and then gone back into lockdown and come out again, demand has started to go up incrementally. So we're now at about, I guess, a third of normal demand uh, passenger demand on the metro, on the tube, and about half, I guess, of normal ridership on the bus network. So the, 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 the transit systems are coming back, uh, but they're coming back essentially as the economy starts to unlock as, as the government sort of gets on top of the pandemic. And obviously, we're following the government's guidance on PT use, on travel, on masks, on, on cleansing, and all those things to make sure that we're providing a really safe and reliable service. On the road network, interestingly, uh, demand is not back up to pretty near to pre-pandemic levels. So like many other cities, we're seeing a, a, a big return in, on the road network. And so we're working very hard to make sure that people have alternatives around walking and cycling in particular, to make sure that we don't have a car-led recovery. Now, that's what not had an obvious effect on our revenues because we are quite dependent on the fare box for our revenue, about 70% of our gross revenue comes from the fare box, which is higher than many other cities. Um, I think in New York, it's about 30, 35%. Um, other cities are more like 50 percent. So if your passenger numbers drop off anywhere between 70 and 90 percent, your revenue drops off proportionally. So that's been a big issue for us in terms of what a long term sustainable funding model might be. Uh, and that's the thing we're discussing with government right now.
0: So we're in December right now. What's the current yep. status of things here in America in December? We're waiting for a potential federal bailout, uh, yep. uh, you know, another one which could help public transportation, but a number yep. of our major cities. You mentioned New York, but others like Washington, D.C. and San Francisco have announced potentially draconian cuts to their routes if they don't get, you know, additional federal funding for the same reasons you indicated there in London, that ridership is down. And so the revenue from that is down. What's the status of things right now
1: there?
2: So we we have had some funding from central government to to get us through to the end of this financial year, which has been very helpful. Uh, And obviously that's come with some some conditions attached to it. Um, So they've made sure that we kind of remain solvent and can go on um, running pretty much a pre-COVID level of service. But of course, if you're running pre-COVID level service, but you're not attracting pre-COVID levels of revenue, there's an obvious gap there. So the conversation that's going on with central government right now is what might be uh, in a long-term financial sustainability plan, which we need to discuss with them and agree with them uh, early in 2021. And that will need us to explain what we think our um, long-term demand forecast might be, what the revenue implications might be of that, where else we might find revenue to help supplement our farebox revenue, what we might do around further cost efficiencies. And that will then produce a conversation about, uh, and certainly Andy of the has made this very clear, he'd like to agree a long-term funding settlement, both on the operating side of the equation, but also on the capital side of the equation. So we can make sure that we can plan and provide really decent public transport and roadway management, and continue to invest in the transport system that the city will need as it recovers from COVID. So the question right now really is the one you just posed, which is what might the terms of a long-term funding arrangement be with central government uh, where where we're both bringing um, uh, ideas to the party?
0: So your prime minister, Boris, used to be the mayor. So I'm sure he's super familiar with your operation. That should help some, right? Yeah, I mean Boris. You know, he 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 was the mayor um,
2: uh, for, for for two terms. He understands the city very very well. There are a number of um, government MPs in the city, uh, and, and London obviously contributes a significant amount to the UK economy, both in terms of tax take, in terms of uh, the supply chain for transportation outside uh, London and the southeast. So so London needs to sit alongside the other cities and city regions in 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 the. Uh, in the planning for the future to make sure that they are all economically sustainable not just London but the other cities Manchester Liverpool Birmingham Edinburgh because clearly you know the economy is heavily driven by what happens in our in our country cities like in the states and elsewhere so I think there's a really important question around what is the sustainable model for urban transportation not just in London but obviously that's crucial for us but also in the other city regions around the country as well and that's the conversation that's underway right now
0: Let's talk about your restart and recovery efforts. So that's what you're in charge of. So tell us what you've been doing. So the first challenge was really, which is the restart
2: part of that, was really just to make sure that we were able to respond to the immediate effect of the pandemic. So in the first couple of months, we had issues ourselves around operator availability due to people uh, self-isolating if they thought they might have caught coronavirus or in some cases, unfortunately, um, falling ill with the coronavirus. Uh, We've basically put in place um, a a very uh, sort of robust process of operational response to that. So we're now pretty much back to pre-COVID levels of PT operations. Obviously, we're making sure that the safety and health of our staff and our customers is our absolutely top priority. So all the issues around face covering, wearing, uh, cleansing and hygiene on the bus and tube networks, absolutely ruthlessly pursuing those those objectives. Uh, So we've really made sure that the service for our customers, and the phrase we use is safe, reliable, orderly, um, and and secure. So that people know that if they turn up to take a bus or ride on the Metro, they'll they'll find a reliable service, they'll be able to socially distance, the system will be clean, it'll be well managed. And we've been doing some uh, work through Imperial College to test the network. Uh, For three months in a row, they found no trace of the virus on our PT system. So we really are paying very close attention to that. So Restart's really been about giving the system back into full operation and making it available to customers and telling the customers that they can find a safe, reliable service to travel outside the peak periods if they can, uh, to use walking and cycling if they can, but if they do need to use transit, that they will be a very good service there when they turn up. So then if you then start thinking about recovery, which is as London starts to come out of the coronavirus, as its economy, we hope, starts to re- re- reboot, what transportation needs to be in place to support that, because clearly as businesses reopen, if they do, as theatres, as uh, cafes and bars and restaurants reopen, as offices reopen, uh, we need to make sure the transportation is there to support people in those journeys. So the recovery effort is really around looking out, I guess over the next 12, 18 months and saying, how do we make sure that 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 offer continues to be in place and that people can rely on the transport network as they return to a a kind of post-COVID normal, whatever that seems to be like. So that's really, we focus our efforts on, on responding to the immediate effects of the coronavirus and then starting to look out a bit further and say what has to be in place uh, in the near mid, the midterm to support London's
0: recovery. That's great. Um, and what do you see going forward, um, Ben, as kind of a, you know, what's, what, what are the impact of this going to be on TFL, on London, on cities in general, in your opinion? Well, I think there's a kind of
2: short medium term answer that question the longer term answer so the short medium term answer is that uh, I, I fear that the coronavirus could have a pretty significant effect on london's economy the mayor of london only today produced a report suggesting that something like 44 billion pounds could have come out of the london economy in this year alone and that, and that next year may be pretty tough as well so for for lots and lots of businesses for lots of people working in london uh, the, the, the effects of the pandemic could be quite significant. So a critical question is what level of uh, government support might might be in place to help deal with that both here and in other cities, and, and in particular what support might be in place to support the transport network as London gets hopefully gets back to work over the next couple of years. Um, so that's the kind of immediate challenge, which is understanding the, the kind of short-term economic effects of the, of the pandemic, um, and then thinking about... Beyond that, so we're doing some work now looking out to sort of 2030 in terms of scenarios. So I think it's quite likely, for example, that people who've been working from home pretty much full time, if they work in an office normally, probably won't go back to the office five days a week. Uh, there's pretty clear evidence um, from, from customer research and from, from the property industry that, and from many employers that they're planning to have a slightly more mixed model of office based work. So what will that do for the businesses in the central area that rely on office workers coming out at lunchtime and buying a sandwich or going to the pub or a restaurant after work? So then thinking about what sort of transportation needs to be in place to support, for example, a different pattern of office based commuting uh, over the next five to six years is going to be a really important part of our recovery planning so that the services are in the locations where they're needed and at the frequencies and of the type that they're needed. And that's the work that's underway right now to look out slightly further and say what will the permanent effects of this be on london and what sort of transportation needs to be in place to support that city
0: yeah that's really good i've been talking with a number of uh ceos of commuter transit services in particular places like toronto and sydney australia uh and and this they're they're all seeing the same thing which potentially is a permanent lowering of the peak services for their rails going into the city and so then the question is you know, if they're not buying it, we're not going to sell it. So, so what else should we be offering? And that's really yeah. what you're asking. Do you have any ideas? I mean, one of the ideas that I proposed and have talked to them about is nights and weekends that yeah. uh, folks may now want to come into the cities more yeah. for, you know, nightlife and ball games and the weekends and these yeah. commuter services, which traditionally have only been focused around providing service for employment now could, could serve other purposes. What do you think about that? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think there is clearly plenty of capacity in the system, right? I mean, and the challenge for city transit systems has always been how you manage and provide for peak demand. So so how you can enable and encourage people to go on making journeys on the transit network, but not at the times or the days when they would previously have made them, I think, is a critical question because what people want to know is when they turn up for their journey, there will be a bus or a metro train or, or an overground train Uh, coming along fairly quickly and that the service they get on will be safe and reliable. So you have to maintain that offer, I think, whilst understanding that both the kind of the geographical distribution of demand and the pattern of demand across time of day and time of week may well be different. Uh, So for example, we've seen some evidence that people working from home are then spending time and money in their local neighbourhood, right, in their local town centre. So what does that suggest about the volume of bus services, um, does that mean you have to redistribute services from your central commuter zone to your suburban town centers? And that's all the kind of stuff we're looking at now as the evidence starts to come through of what the long term effect of this may be. And it's still quite early for this. Thinking about the distribution of your past, your mass transit system and where the road network fits in that as well. is going to be absolutely fundamental, I think, because you
0: have to manage a system to meet the demand that you experience rather than the demand that you used to have. I think that's very good. Yeah. Well, we'll be sure to monitor uh, what you guys are doing there in TfL. You're one of the leaders, obviously, in our industry. And uh, it sounds like you've got your hands around uh, the problem and you're working it and trying to come out with a solution for public transit on the other end, both operationally and financially.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I think that is the challenge facing all city transit authorities. and, And we're doing a lot of information sharing through UITP and the other international networks to make sure that we're all learning from each other. Because clearly there's no point in us inventing something that Toronto or Adelaide or, or, you know, or Mumbai have invented because we should just get that stuff going straight away. That's great.
0: Thanks, Ben Plowden, uh, for being with us on Comfort's Corner Transit Unplugged today. We wish you the very best in your restart and recovery efforts there in London. Paul, thanks for It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much.
3: I'm Alayah Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Securing press coverage for news at your agency is an essential part of your communications plan. And getting leading press coverage, the kind where the news anchor says, in our top stories tonight, is really what you want to shoot for. But securing this kind of coverage can be a lengthy and expensive process. That's why it's important not to waste your time and set yourself up for disappointment by pitching news that doesn't get you the coverage you want. What's an easy way to decide which stories to pitch for front page news? I like to think about it this way. If you can explain why your news matters, that makes it worthy of top coverage. So for example, most press outlets don't get too excited about the promotion of an employee. Relegating those stories to an executives on the move column buried in the business section. And maybe that's fine. But if you can explain why the promotion helps your agency meet diversity goals or is essential to the expansion of a service line to an underserved area, that can help you land a story above the fold. If you wanna talk about securing leading press coverage for your agency or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y.
0: Thanks for being with us today on Transit Unplugged's Comforts Corner. Hopefully you've enjoyed this great episode. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for making Transit Unplugged one of the leading business and transportation podcasts in the world. We're heard now in 99 countries. And it's a pleasure uh, to hear from so many of you who reach out to me via LinkedIn uh, or by email, or whatever, just to say, you know, you're listening and you appreciated this out or the other. Let us know if you have a guest that you think should be interviewed in the new year. We've got some great guests lined up for the new year already uh, going around the world. Uh, our first episode of the new year on Comfort's Corner will be Joshua Shank who is the director of the Office of Extraordinary Innovation at Los Angeles Metro, LA Metro. And then Ahmed Hashan Bazaran, who is the CEO of Dubai's RTA, will be our guest. And we've got several others coming up from around the world. And if you have a CEO or a top executive who's making news in your transit agency, just email me, paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com, or shoot me a direct message on LinkedIn. Hopefully you follow me there. And hopefully you have a chance to subscribe to our Transit Unplugged podcast, as you bring you a new episode every week around 30 to 40 minutes long and bringing you the, you know, great interviews and top news. I've also want to thank those who give me the opportunity to speak at your transit agency over the last year. Uh, it's been great. Uh, we're doing drop-in kind of uh, classes on the future of public transportation and also many Conferences that have invited me to speak uh, over the month of December, I must have had ten that I spoke at, including places like Lagos, Nigeria, uh, you know, Australia, all over the place. So it's been it's been a blast. And If you are interested in the new year and having me do a drop in via Zoom or Teams to speak to your team, just let me know. And here's what I will tell them: COVID nineteen has had a dramatic impact on transportation, as you know. We've had a 50 to 95 percent ridership reduction around the world. Routes have been reduced. Uh, as a result to meet the demand. And we've moved to rear door boarding and fares were weighed for many months during the peak of the pandemic. And of course, the cleaning services that are required have uh, been ramped up. And so that's cost more. So we've seen a reduction in revenue and an increase in costs. As a result of that, some federal governments around the world have stepped up and provided additional subsidies, which have been helping. But transit agencies are on their own in many cases having to figure out how to make do and so they're looking at data management and analytics capabilities to support transit operations including occupancy now in their gtfs real-time feed so that people can see how many people are on the bus they're also using public health data for operations decision support, meaning if, uh, if the local government is telling people, you know, not only should you wear a mask, but we should remain social distancing on the vehicles and other um, mechanisms to keep things safe, we're using that public health data to support our operations decision. And most transit agencies are creating a more robust data management platform to support flexible, dynamic operations environments. This information came right from APTA's six-month study and survey they did of many of the major transit agencies here in North America. I've been talking, as you know, with transit leaders around the world and have come up with the top 10 ways that agencies can help future-proof their transit service. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, we thought COVID-19 might be over, and then, of course, it had to bounce back in many countries around the world, and so they've had to re-put down some government uh, closures on things and there may be something else happens in 2021 or 2022. How can transit agencies really harden themselves against these kind of uh, global pandemics or even localized issues which could dramatically affect service? Well I've come up with 10 of the ways in my inductive thinking as I pulled all together the ideas and here I'd like to share them with you. This is what I could share with your staff if you're interested in me doing this presentation along with a great PowerPoint presentation that Uh, my team here put together for us. Number one is zero emission buses. Uh, This is a way to help move back and reclaim the higher moral ground, as many politicians early on were uninformed and thought that transit could be a place for rapid coronavirus transmission, and they felt like it could be a petri dish for germs. None of the studies have really shown that. They've shown just quite the opposite, that transit actually is pretty safe when it comes to a place where uh, the COVID-19 um, may be transmitted because people are wearing masks. Transit agencies in many uh, Western countries are still requiring social distancing on the vehicles. People aren't talking on the vehicles as much, and so there, and and the ridership is down dramatically, 50%. And so it actually has turned out uh, there was one study I saw last week out of uh, Great Britain, I think it was, that used the quote, "It's safer than the Oval Office." So I don't know about that, but. it it has proven to be generally safe and uh, not a great place for transmission. Nevertheless, we still need on the messaging side of things to show that we're clean. One of the other great uh, kind of silver linings that came out of this whole thing was that you know for a few months there people could see the skyline from Los Angeles to Shanghai where normally smog and and pollution had filled the air and you couldn't really see the skyline very well. If you want that to continue You know, our message needs to be that we need to double down on transit because for every transit bus, 40 or more cars are taken off the road in general. And in addition, if we move to zero emission buses, electric battery, CNG, hydrogen, it even helps our transit message even become more that of a clean alternative to what we're doing now. And that, of course, as I said, emphasizing the clean side of things on the environment as well as inside the vehicle is the number one way I believe you can future-proof your transit service. And these are a lot of generalities, that I've talked about there, but I think you get the message. Number two is new tech tools. Uh, so many transit agencies need to have better tech tools for back-office scenario planning, rerouting service, and adjusting rosters and shifts quickly and seamlessly when needed. Number three, back to high-frequency routes. That's right, using headway management instead of time point management. Uh, and adding that to bustling lanes and transit signal priority that will really help people get back on. Number four is new software and hardware that allows for better tracking of drivers, assets, buses, rail cars, facility cleaning, and more accurate on yard vehicle location. Number five is contactless fairing, right? Moving away from traditional fare boxes and emphasizing e-fairing, wearables, contactless cards, which speeds boarding and allows for all door boarding and is low touch. Again, moving to where you could open up both doors is another way to help load the buses and unload them quicker. Uh, especially with people getting on the bus. It's a great way if you had validators in the back of the vehicle with contactless ferrying to make that happen. Speeding up the process is what people want. And number six, they want real-time passenger info. People want to know, they want to see the bus on a map, on their phone, just like they do with TNCs, right? Like a lift vehicle coming their way. And um, we also, it also now with real-time GTFS, you can allow passengers to make informed decisions when you're looking at how, what the capacity is on the vehicle. And you can tell people this vehicle is full, right? Or a train platforms. It creates confidence in the system. They know when it's coming. And also they know if it's full. Number seven is microtransit. This was really a, a hot trend before COVID. And during this COVID pandemic, it's really filled in a lot of the niches. And now as we're coming out of the other side, hopefully with the, with the vaccine, etc., I think microtransit is going to remain a hot trend. And this kind of niche transportation uh, allowing microtransit to fill in the gaps. I mean, uh, on our first episode of the new year, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking to Joshua Shank from L.A. Metro. He talks about how Los Angeles has now just opened up the biggest microtransit um, pilot program in the country with over 200 vehicles on it run by their own employees. Uh, but basically, the idea is that it fills in the gaps where a fixed route maybe can't go like it used to. And then online mobile trip booking is the number eight way to future proof your transit system this is especially important for paratransit when you don't really want to have a call center full of 60 or 70 reservationists sitting right next to each other elbow to elbow allowing more people to book their trips online will reduce the need for packed call centers and give the passengers more control number nine is autonomous vehicles right this was a big trend again before covid and now this low touch solution is still finding its way in our industry. Number 10 is mobility as a service. The big one at the end, right? Mass. It aggregates all mobility services in a city on one smartphone app, which passengers can plan for, pay for, and eventually hopefully even subscribe for all the mobility services. So that's a look at some of the top 10 ways you can future proof your transit service. Hopefully that information is helpful to you. If you'd like me to share that, and maybe even an in-depth way with some Q&A with your staff, shoot me an email at paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com. Thanks again for being with us. Hope you have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. We'll talk to you next time here on Transit Unplugged.